bring to the Lord is victory in Jesus. Amen. I'm excited to be back with you today, church. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to come and preach. And um, it's unique how I got the opportunity to come and speak to you this Sunday. It happened in a couple different ways. But before we get into any of that, um, so that you have plenty of time to get to your Bibles and to get them open and to get the right chapter, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be there for most of the day. It's going to feel like I'm preaching for like 20 minutes before we get there, but that's all right. We'll get there. Hold on. Um, but really, one of, the way, one of the reasons why I'm here today is by means to say thank you. I'm not sure um, how much you all know you've supported me over the past three years. A few weeks ago, I graduated with my Master of Divinity from Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. And, and over the past three years, you all have supported me in a number of different ways. Um, for the first two years of my time in seminary, you all supported me financially. Uh, by way of scholarship, and I can't express to you how much that allowed me to do lifting that financial burden off of me to be able to take different classes and study under professors who, many of whom I would call friends and mentors today, and there's just so much that was opened up for me because of that, that I just cannot, that is a thousand graces to me. I know I wasn't in a whole lot of contact with you guys while I was studying because master's work is hard here, you can imagine, but um, it was it was an unbelievable blessing. So, so thank you for that, but also for your emotional support. I can't tell you how many texts I've gotten from my mom where she said, I met so-and-so at church today or at prayer group or here at the store, and they had an encouraging word for you or to say that they were praying for you, that they loved you, that they were thinking about you. And that just means the world to me, um, that I could have a church family in Kansas City and have a family back in Vandalia as well who absolutely love and care for me. And ministry's hard, and pursuing ministry is not easy it's it's a joy to be able to pursue vocational ministry but the devil has a unique way of attacking those who are pursuing ministry and to hear those encouraging words and, and those messages that i get on facebook or through email or whatever it is um, it's extremely encouraging and so just know that i love you and thank you and it's not lost on me how much you've cared for me over the past three years so thank you and now Mushy stuff aside, we're going we're gonna to get into what we're, we're doing today. So, the book of Hebrews, there's so much that we have in our passage today. There's so much that we have in our passage today, and as I was thinking through what I wanted to preach on, right, you get one sermon. I got one sermon. I'm not going through a series. I've got one sermon to come and preach and demonstrate an idea or uh, a concept that I want to be foundational in my ministry. So, what text do I go to? And so I went to this text today because it's one that's been reverberating in the back of my mind over and over the past few years while I've been in seminary, and particularly these past few weeks as I've graduated. But before we get into any of that, before we get into the context of Hebrews, before we get into what's going on in our passage specifically, I want to show you one thing that's super, super cool about your Bibles that you might be unaware of. And so I know I have to go to Hebrews, and I'm not super good at keeping track of where I'm at in my Bible. You think they'd have a seminary class and like keeping your place in your Bible. But um, go to Mark. Mark chapter 6. So, so whenever you come to the book of Hebrews, one of the things that you're going to see is the author of Hebrews is constantly making reference to the Old Testament. You see that all over the New Testament. He's always quoting the Old Testament. And it's fascinating because this really happens in four ways. Sometimes they quote, sometimes they reference, sometimes there's an allusion, but there's a fourth way. And we see this fourth way preeminently in Mark, but we also see it in our passage today. And it's so important to get this to see where we're going. So Mark chapter 6, it's a really famous passage in Scripture. It's that text where we see Jesus walking on water. 
familiar with that passage? You probably taught it in Sunday school. You've probably been taught it in Sunday school. You know it, right? Jesus walks on the water to his disciples. And if you read verse 48 through 49, it says, And he saw them, or he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And we get this clause. You get this really weird, this really weird um, word phrase where he says, He meant to pass them by. Why would Jesus mean to pass them by? He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they saw him walking on the sea. They thought it was a ghost and cried out. And so we get this passage in Mark where he means to pass them by, but they see Jesus walking on the water. And it can be kind of confusing if we don't see the underlying purpose for why the author of Mark is writing this. Because you've got to go back to the Old Testament. You've got to go back to Job 9. And you've got to see this passage in Job where Job and his friends are lamenting the affliction that's been brought to Job and Job is crying out to the Lord and in Job 9 verses 8 and 11 this is what it says if I could get to it Job 9 8 through 11 or 8 and 11 he says who alone this is Job lamenting his affliction he said who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea So who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? And then in verse 11, it says, Behold, this is talking about God. It says, Behold, he passes me by, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. And so there's this passage way back in Job, in the middle of a book that's kind of hard to read, where there's this section where God passes Job by as he's trampling on the waves. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said he was going to do? He meant to pass them by as he's trampling on the waves? There's this direct connection between the gospel of Mark and this passage in Job where Mark is saying, look, this one who's walking on the water out to you, this is God in the flesh. And it is important that we get that to understand the book of Mark and to see what's going on in our Bibles that Jesus is the one who walks on the water. Jesus is the one who could have passed them by, but he didn't. They saw him and he showed mercy and grace and love to them. And so we see these connections. Do you see that? We see these connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and sometimes they're more implicit than others. And in our text today, they're super implicit. They're like five levels deep to see them. But it's massively important that we get that because the reason the author of Hebrews, and we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. I don't think it's Paul. I don't think it's Luke. We don't really know. Maybe it's Apollos. But the author of Hebrews is writing this to Jewish Christians in the first century. The Jewish Christians in the first century who kept having this propensity to forget the gospel. They had lived during the life of Jesus. They'd lived during the death of Jesus. They'd lived during all of this time, and they followed Jesus. They walked away from their Jewish ways and were following Christ. But then Jesus ascends on high, and he's not with them any longer. And so they're tempted to go back to the ways of their past and to go back to the things that they knew in their former life. So the things of the temple and the sacrificial system start to look more appealing to them because Jesus is no longer with them. So the author of Hebrews is writing them saying, no, no, no. Don't look back to those things. Look to Jesus. And so if you have a a notebook or you're a note taker or something like that, the title of my sermon is my one point today. Consider Jesus. That's the point of this text. That's the point, really, of the book of Hebrews. Because the entire book of Hebrews, it's constantly pointing the things in the Old Testament that these Jewish Christians were struggling with. They were struggling in chapter 1 with celestial beings, angels. The angels were the ones who ministered to them. But the author of Hebrews says, no, 
Jesus is far superior than angels. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of angels. Why would you want these angels when you could have Jesus? And then in chapter 2, he says that Jesus makes a better way to salvation than the Old Testament. You want to go to the temple and you want to make these sacrifices, but Jesus is the final sacrifice for that. Jesus is the final payment of that debt. So don't, don't keep looking at those things. Jesus is better than those things. And in our passage today, we get the chief prophet of the Jewish faith, Moses. And the text isn't going to degrade Moses, but it's going to point to Moses and show how glorious Moses is in his place of how infinitely superior Jesus is. And so the heartbeat of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better than everything. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. So let's open our Bibles. If you haven't already, you've had plenty of time. Get to chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to read, then we're going to pray, and we will get going. Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. If you'd like to stand in the reading of God's word. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's power. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house indeed if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful that you give us direction. You don't leave us aimlessly wandering, grasping at thin air, but you guide us and you shepherd us and you pastor us and you give us direction and insight for how we should live our lives. We thank you for the gospel of your son. We thank you that we can today open your word and glean some insight about your nature and who you are. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Allow us to understand you a little more clearly today. Let us make much of you this morning, Lord. In these things we pray. In your son's name. Amen. So our passage started with that one word that all good Bible readers are very familiar with. Therefore. Right? Links us back to the first two chapters of this book. Therefore. Right? It says, therefore, holy brothers. Right? And so if you jump back to Hebrews 2, it's going to talk about the people who are in the fold of Christ being sanctified and becomes holy like Jesus. Not Jesus, but like Jesus. They're being made holy through sanctification. And we see two things, again, just a little bit of recap, that's going on in this book. We see that Jesus is better than the angels in chapter 1, that he's the builder and the foundation and the creator of all things. And in chapter 2, that he makes a better way of salvation. And we see this language in these um, in, these, in this specific, these first two verses, it talks about Jesus being our apostle and Jesus being our high priest. And in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we see the only time in the Bible where a high priest is referenced as mercy. Jesus is our merciful high priest who advocates for us, who mediates before the Father on our behalf, 
that we don't have to make a way to God on our own, but we can go to Jesus. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. So when it says, therefore, holy brothers, let's keep all this in mind, all this stuff that we've learned about Jesus in mind, that he's better than angels, that he makes a better way of salvation, that he's sanctifying you. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, this heavenly calling is those of us who are sharers in the blood of Jesus. It's not just anybody out in the world. It's specifically talking about the church. It's talking about those who are in the fold of Christ. So those corporately, all Christians in the world, but it's also speaking specifically to us today, First Baptist Church. Like, this is a church, not this building, but these people, this church. Those who share in a heavenly calling together, you realize that you share in something completely unfathomable to the world. You share in the blood of Christ together with one another. That's amazing. And the author of Hebrews is writing specifically to those people who share in that heavenly calling. 2 Timothy will call it a holy calling as opposed to a heavenly calling. And Philippians will call it an upward calling. But it's this call of the gospel on our lives. It's a call out of the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. Right During the time of the Reformation, they had this phrase called post-tenebrous light, out of darkness light that's what's happening with this calling and it's not just calling us to salvation but it's calling us to faithfulness it's this heavenly calling that brings us out of darkness into light but it takes us to the light also it takes us to jesus and so when we see this text and we see that he's writing to holy brothers of a heavenly calling we know he's talking to the church those who have been saved those who have been justified by grace through faith and then we get this crazy saying consider jesus haven't we, don't we often think that, haven't we already considered Jesus? Haven't we already thought about Jesus? Haven't we already thought about the gospel and all that stuff? Shouldn't we be able to move past that now? Shouldn't we be able to, you know, I've heard the gospel my entire life. I've been in church my entire life. I've heard about Jesus my entire life. Shouldn't I just get something more? Shouldn't I move past that? And the author of Hebrews says, no. We live our lives every day as if we forget the gospel. We need the gospel every day. We need to consider Jesus every single day day and so what the rest of this passage is this is unpacking why and the entire book is unpacking why we should consider jesus and so for this passage and for those first century jews who were struggling as christians with their faith and they were struggling with looking back looking back to the old testament looking back to the prophets and worshiping and revering those men over jesus and so he's going to say no 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 not this Moses character who is a servant in the house of the Lord. You get the man who built the house of the Lord. That's far better than the one who served in the house of the Lord. The old ways are not necessarily entirely gone. But there's a far better way to come. Right? Moses should still be revered. We should still read our Old Testaments. I'm not saying don't read your Old Testament. I spent a long time this morning, and we're going to spend more time talking about why the Old Testament is so important for your Bible and to know your New Testament. But Jesus is far superior, and he fulfills the things that are talked about in the Old Testament. And so Jesus, he is our apostle and our high priest. He goes before the Father on our behalf. He teaches us a better way. He mediates before the Father on our behalf. He's faithful to God, and he's similar to Moses, but he's not exactly Moses. You see all of this in our passage. And if you know your Bibles, you know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? Most of Deuteronomy, but other than that, the first five books of the Bible. In Numbers, 
is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I preached on it recently at my church back in Kansas City, one of, one of my favorite sermons I've ever had the joy of preaching. And in it, there's this passage in 1217 that there's a direct allusion to where we're going today. In 1217, it talks about Moses being a faithful servant in the house of the Lord, despite opposition from Miriam and Aaron. And in, I'm just going to go there. We're just going to go to Numbers today. So if you go to Numbers, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there. If you turn to Numbers 12, verse 7, we see this passage where Miriam and Aaron are opposing Moses, saying that Moses isn't the only person who gets a word from the Lord, right? And so the authors of Hebrews is even pushing Moses up on a pedestal to show how good Moses is, as opposed to Miriam and Aaron and the other Israelites at the time. And he says this in 12, let's just start in 6 and read through 8. He says, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Have you ever spoke mouth to mouth to somebody? That's not you're on the other end of a football field. Hey. That's not you're on the other end of a coffee table having a conversation. That is, you are in the face of one another. Mouth to mouth. He spoke with Moses. And he spoke to Moses clearly. This is what it says next. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. That's so much different than anybody else in the Bible. Mouth to mouth with the Lord. That's preposterous. And the Jewish uh, people at the time had all the reasons, right? That's what they used to believe. And so, of course, they would revere Moses. But the author of Hebrews is saying, no. This Jesus is far superior with the man who spoke mouth to mouth with the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord himself. We see that in verse 3 through 4. 3 through 4 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than the one who spoke mouth to mouth with God. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things, the builder of all things is God. And so this author is saying, not only is he just better in, in human terms than Moses, he's the head over the house, but he's the builder of all things. Right, you go back to Hebrews 1, it says Jesus is the one who created everything. And here it says that God is the builder of all things. So what's the author of Hebrews saying? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God, and he's to be followed by these Jewish Christians. They shouldn't defect back into Judaism. They shouldn't defect back into their old ways. Are you feeling where this text is going for you? What this text is telling us today about how we should treat our former life? I was going to get to this later, but that's why I'll go there now. We have this terrible propensity this disposition to wander and to lust after our former ways. And I don't mean that in, in like an abstract kind of way. I mean, oftentimes we treat non-Christians as if they get to live the good life. As if, oh, well, I would love to go out and party and drink until the day's young, but I'm a Christian, so I better not. Or I would love to do X, Y, and Z. Or I would love to have as much unmitigated sexual freedom as I want, but because I'm a Christian, I don't get to do that. We treat Christianity like that. We, we treat the outside world as if they get this life that we don't have access to. But the book of Hebrews is saying that's false. Jesus is so much better than any of that garbage. Why would you chase after the things of your former life when you have something that's so much better? Consider Jesus. That's what this text is saying. In all things, whenever you're tempted to wander back to the old ways of your youth, consider Jesus. And not in a vague way either. You might remember the late 1990s, early 2000s with those really cheesy wristbands that said, what would Jesus do? Remember that? It's not a whole lot different than that. 
It's not a whole lot different than that. It's not this super complicated idea. It's one of the most practical texts in all scripture. Consider Jesus. When you have those moments when you're having that disposition to wander away from what you know, from what you believe in, from the God you follow, consider Jesus. Reorient your gaze off the things of the world and back to Christ. That's what this text is pointing us towards. He's the builder of all things. He's God. He deserves our worship, not the world. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Why would we chase after something that's been built? We could chase after the builder. Jesus created everything. Jesus created us. He created the things that we follow. He is our God. Why would we exchange truth for a lie? Why would we exchange our first thing, Jesus, for some second thing that's been created? Verse 5 says, Now Moses was faithful in the house of God as a servant, and that is a testimony to the faithfulness of Jesus. When the author of Hebrews says he was faithful as a servant, that's a big deal. He's not degrading Moses. He's putting Moses up on a pedestal and saying that Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. Jesus, right, to be spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So he's not just a servant in the house. He's over the house. He's the creator of the house. He's the son of the house. He's the one who gets to inherit all of the things of the house. And we're his house. That's you and me, the church. That's who this is written to. So when he says he's faithful over the house, he's going to inherit the things of the house, that's us. We are his house indeed as we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. That's kind of a clunky way to translate that. A more appropriate way I would say to translate that is, and we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. That's a better way to translate that, I think. And it shows us that we will hold fast church. Those of us who are in Christ, this isn't one of those passages that we should shy away from and be scared of translating. No, if we are in the fold of Jesus, we're going to hold fast. And, and when you understand the book of Hebrews in this way, that it's being written to Jewish Christians who had this propensity to walk away from the gospel, and you come to those hard passages, the warning passages in the book of Hebrews, it makes so much more sense. They were fleeing. So hold fast, church. That's what this is telling you. And, and I want to pause for a moment because I told you we were going to get to uh, another echo that we see in the Bible. And it's, and it's right here. If you go to 1 Chronicles 17.23, you see this beautiful picture of what was spoken before referencing what is spoken later as it is we see in our passage in Hebrews. It says this in uh, 1 Chronicles 17.23, which if you don't read your historical books, you should read your historical books. They are rich. Okay. 1 Chronicles 17.23. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken. Build your church. That's what this text is saying. And so he's pointing, this author is pointing directly to all of these references in the Old Testament to show how foolish these people who are leaving the faith for the things prior, how foolish that is because Christ is the fulfillment of that. Christ is what was spoken of. The thing that will be spoken of later by Moses is Christ. The thing that's spoken of in First Chronicles, establishing the house forever, that's Jesus. So why would you want those things? Why would you want what is being built as opposed to the builder? He is the one who's bringing all of this to fulfillment. And so for us, we should not wander. We should not go back. We should not leave what we know as Christians. 
for our former lives, for the things of this world that have been built. We should chase after headlong and pursue the Creator. In this last verse we get where it says, And we are His house if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. This passage shouldn't be disconcerting to us. It should be something that should be cause to rejoice in our lives for two reasons. One, because if we're in Christ, Christ is the one who holds us fast. Christ is the one who cleaves us to the rock of ages. And not cleaves in a breaking way, but cleaves in a holding way. And so this is what the author is saying when he says, consider Jesus. This is the God that we should follow. Not the God of our flesh, or the God and the passions of our youth. But Jesus. He's the one who's better than angels. He's the one who makes a better way of salvation. He's the one who ushers in a new age. Not any of the former things. And so I said that I wanted to preach on this text for a specific reason. I wanted to preach on this text because this is a foundation in my life and it is a foundation in my ministry. That we should consider the gospel in all things. That we should root ourselves in considering the gospel in Jesus Christ fluently in every area of our lives. So that nothing is left unturned. All things are gone, have gone through the sieve or whatever that's called of, of the gospel. So that we wouldn't be unchecked. But so that our entire life would be ripped open and shown the gospel. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, so you know Hebrews 11 is the hall, the hall of fame of faith, right? By faith Moses, by faith um, Joshua, and all those guys. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses, Moses, this people who they're looking towards in their flesh, he's saying, you can look to those witnesses, but they're only pointing you to Jesus. So Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the struggle that is set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who we follow. Church, that's who we put our hope in. So when we run this struggle, we run this race, that's what we're running towards. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? That age-old hymn goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right? We sing that in this church, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? You've stared at something before. And the longer you stare at it, the more dark and hazy the things in the side get. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. That's something that the former things will never offer. That's something that a former life will never offer. That's something that the supposed good life will never offer. Hope, joy, peace, contentment. Right? The Christian life isn't some drudge of non-complacency where we just go through this life unhappy. And we have to, oh, I don't get to do X, I don't get to do X. No, you get Jesus. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. That's the point of our passage. There's something so much better in this life than anything the world has to offer us. So we run to Jesus, and we run the race, and we hold fast, and we boast in our confidence, because that is Jesus. So Christ holds us, we remain resolute, and his church will endure to the end. So, two points of application for you from these six verses. Very simple first. Consider Jesus in everything in every area of your life. 
And I mean this practically. Like, think about, I don't have kids. Think you have kids. And your kids are being bad. And you struggle to um, show the gospel to them every day. And you struggle to love them because sometimes they're a little frustrating, right? But then you consider Jesus and how you're a son and a daughter of God and how often you fail that. And how much mercy you think of. And how much grace you think of. So you show grace, you show mercy, and you try to have a controlled temper. But in every area of your life, there's not a single area in your life this doesn't work. Consider Jesus. I do this weird thing, weird thing, I do this thing most mornings. I wake up, and I, out loud, or in my head, depending on how close my roommates are to me at the time, I quote Romans 8.1, five times. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the gospel. That's, I'm a wicked, filthy sinner, but I'm in Jesus, and so I have hope until the end. So consider Jesus in all things. Don't let this Bible of yours grow dusty on the shelf as you try and live your life. Live your life in a way that considers Jesus in all things. Pour over these pages. Seek him in prayer because those are the things that are eternal, not the former things. The former things will fade away. The second things in life will pass. But the former things, the the first things, the primary things are eternal, forever. So consider Jesus in all things, every walk of life. And second, hold fast. Consider Jesus, number one. Number two, hold fast. Christ holds you fast, resolutely if you're in his house. But that doesn't mean we don't hold fast. That doesn't mean that we rip tighter. That doesn't mean that we, when we are tempted, we look to Jesus and we say, I know that this world is tempting at times, but I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Hold fast, my church. Hold fast. And the unique thing about this passage is as it says, consider Jesus, It seems like it would be written for a non-Christian, right? It seems like it would be written for somebody who's not in the church. It seems like it would be written for somebody who needs to know the gospel again, but it's written to the church. But I'd be as bold to say that it's also true for non-Christians, for those of us who don't know Jesus, that we should consider Jesus, that you should consider your life, and you should compare it with the life of Jesus and see how you stand. Because there's grace and there's mercy at the foot of Jesus. And that's the only place you'll find them. You won't find them anywhere else. So I would say Christian or non-Christian listener, consider Jesus today in all things. Because for those of us who know Jesus, we're going to be more faithful stewards. We're going to be more faithful followers of Christ the more we consider him in all things and the more we hold fast. And for those of us who don't know Jesus and we start to consider him, odds are our hearts will be turned to be stirred we'll start to wonder why this God would show so much grace and why this builder of all things would care to know mine. So if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, my prayer is that you would consider him today because Jesus is better. The gospel preaches a better word than the world. The gospel preaches a better truth to the lost. The gospel offers a better medicine than the world has to offer to us. So as we pray and we close today, it's my prayer for you that Christian or non-Christian, you would consider Jesus. And that if you don't know him today, in your seat or up here, you would take from Jesus. The bread of life that won't fade away. Let's pray. God, we love you and you're good to us.
and you're gracious and you have mercy upon mercy for us and grace upon grace for us. I pray that we'd be better at not forgetting, better at considering you in all things, better at aligning our life with yours, better at following your word, better at trusting your spirit. I pray that for the non-Christian in the room that they would consider you for the first time that they would drink deeply from your well of life for the first time. It's by your grace that we're saved. We deserve nothing more than the form of grace that you have given to us. And so be with us today as we go our separate ways. May we be strengthened.